going to be looking at some other verses. We'll begin in Genesis chapter 1, later to Isaiah 6, and then to Titus chapter 3. First, then Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Before that, looking together at the catechism, how it lays out the teaching concerning our generation, degeneration, and regeneration. Last week we considered how we come to know our misery. The law of God tells us this week we want to look at the origin of our misery, and we need to get this right so that we don't place blame in the wrong spot. So I want us to read together responsively those questions and answers, 6, 7, and 8. I'll ask the question, and we'll read the answer together. Page 873 in the back of your hymnal. Question six, did God create man so wicked and perverse? We answer, no, God created man good and in his own image, that is, in true righteousness and holiness, so that he might truly know God, his creator, love him with all his heart, and live with God in eternal happiness for his praise and glory. Question seven, then where does man's corrupt nature come from? We answer, from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. This fall has so poisoned our nature that we are all conceived and born in sin. Then question eight, but are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined toward all evil? The answer, yes, unless we are born again by the Spirit of God. Beloved, I want to ask you the question that is in the back behind this, uh, this sermon tonight. What is wrong with the world? Did God create the world flawed? Did he create man with a flaw? That's what we want to look at tonight. We, we need to, to look at how God made us, and we need to see what has happened after that creation, and then we need to see what is necessary for us to be restored to that uh, ability to do good. First, our generation then tonight, our origin, that's what we're talking about, where, how we were made. And I turn you to God's Word, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, where God records in His Word the creation of humanity with these words. Then God said, let us let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We're going to recognize, we're going to reflect just for some time here as to what it means to be made in the image of God. This does not mean that God is around six feet tall with blonde hair and blue eyes. It means that we're to be reflecting the character of God. God made Adam and Eve to reflect his character, to be like him. The Bible tells us that God created man in his own image, and he did so in a way that is very good. We didn't read that, but verse 31, same chapter, Genesis 1, says, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. There's no flaw in it, no defect. He created us to represent him on earth. 
creating us a little lower than the heavenly beings we read in Psalm chapter 8 to be his messengers for an idea of what it means to be created in his image and to know what it is we were called to do, made to do. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 6 together. What are the angels doing in heaven? We're created a little lower than the angels, but they're, they're uh, created purpose is there before us in Isaiah 6. We see this, and, and we want to reflect on how that relates to us. Isaiah has a vision of the Lord, and it says, he's, he records it, and God, in his inspired word, gives it to us. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, that is angels. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. What do we see there? What are some of the aspects that we see in this passage? Well, we see that the angels are declaring God's holiness, and they're declaring that he, his Glory fills the whole earth. We look around and we can see the glory of God. They marvel at his, as we look through the scriptures, if we were to look through the scriptures at all of the ways that the angels are represented, they, they glory in his righteousness. They glory in his redemption. They, they, they long to look into it, Peter says, First Peter chapter 1. The angels long to look into God's uh, reconciling, redemptive work sinners. They delight in his holiness, his otherness. He isn't like any other power. One major difference is this. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't create things flawed. God created man in his image to be witness to his glory. He created us to truly know him. Listen to how the catechism summarizes Scripture's teaching to truly know him as creator, to love him with all our hearts, and to live with him eternally in happiness, in bliss. That's man's wonderful beginning. God created man to declare him holy, 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 unlike any other it's at the start. We can see how that is true in, in paradise. They're called to glorify God, and we can see it at the end. If you were to turn to Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 6 and 5, uh, you would see there what is coming, what is yet coming. Uh, John has recorded what the churches are to, to uh, the word they're to receive from Christ and how they are to live. And then he says, and I looked and saw in heaven uh, this testimony. There are the the living creatures declared, the four living creatures declared, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. In chapter 5, there again, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. That is what we're destined for in Christ, those who are redeemed to sing the praises of our God. That's what your and my life should look like now. It's not something that we just say, well, someday in the future. It's what will be fulfilled, consummated in its, in its uh, perfection one day. But it is to begin even now. God has created us for that purpose to say there is none like him. 
His righteousness is purer than anything you or I have ever known. His love is deeper than you or I have ever experienced. His wisdom surpasses anything you or I have ever heard. Recently, I had a conversation with someone from this congregation about uh, God's sovereignty and his, uh, his providence in, in all things, how he works wisely. And we were discussing what often happens when, when we talk to unbelievers and, and we say God is sovereign, God is all wise, and God has made this world good and, and, and uh, he's made it for his glory. And, and the unbeliever, as we were reflecting, often will say, well, well if that's true, if that's true, then, then when I get to heaven, I've got some questions for him. I've got a few things I'd like to ask him because I don't like the way things are. And, and my finger is pointed in that direction. He's the problem. Now, what we then later reflected on was, uh, or we were talking at another time, the same person, and we were saying about a sermon where the pastor brought up this same scenario, and he said, I was talking with someone, I talk to people often, and they say, boy, when I get to heaven, I've got questions for God, and he says, you know, the more I reflect upon Scripture, it doesn't teach that when I get there, I'm going to ask God to answer me with all, and all my questions. He says, I'm going to have three words that I, that I use when I see God in glory, and you know what those three words are? Holy Holy, holy. So when we come to see God as he is, we cannot see in him any smudge of unholiness, any, any blemish. And God created us in his likeness. He wanted us to be unblemished, to be living for his glory. And we're created to shine brightly upon him. To say there is none wiser, none purer, none greater than you, O God. Come to my help. You alone can give me what I need. To you belongs all the glory. Isaiah sees God's glory in the temple. What does he see? Notice there, and we don't, we're not going to spend our, our, our time on this tonight, but just to notice a few things. He says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. The whole sanctuary is full of his robe. And when we see that, when we think of coming in to worship, what, are we, what do we need to be careful of? Stepping on his glory, stepping on his holiness, coming in and saying, no, no, this is how it's going to be, trampling in and saying, no, let's, or, or let's, let's move this, let's move this teaching of the Lord out of the sanctuary. Let's, let's bring in what we would like to see in worship. No, no, we need to listen to him, and we need to respond to his word. Now, he does say, come to me, all you who are weary. He does say, come to me, and I will Speak to you, I will help you, I will comfort you. But we dare not come with an irreverent attitude. Well, it is not only in worship that we can sometimes come in an irreverent way, but also just in our everyday. Because what does it say here? It doesn't say, Isaiah doesn't say, I just saw the Lord in his temple. It says the whole earth is full of his glory. Everywhere his glory is seen. And therefore, we ought not to act irreverently anywhere. God has, uh, in, in his design, 
created us to make much of him everywhere. We're created to note his greatness, to depend on him, to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to long for the day when we will live in eternal bliss with him. We're created connected, we might say. We were created connected to the only one who can fill us to overflowing, giving us a joy that nothing else could give giving us pursuit that no other pursuit could satisfy, namely relationship with him. That's not how man, we see man acting today. We have many who are waggling their finger and saying, I've got questions for him. I've got a few things I'd like to tell him. And man lives for his own glory, and God's glory is pushed out, and yet Scripture says his glory fills the whole earth. It can't be pushed out no matter how hard man tries. Indeed, we're not to try that. We're to instead reflect on it everywhere. So what's happened? Well, secondly, tonight we look at our degeneration. Our first parents listened to the lie of the devil that they could be like God knowing everything and that they wouldn't be affected by that, that they would not become proud and, and irreverent. And they said, no, we think we, we, we think we could handle that. We think we would do a better job of determining our destiny and our day-to-day activities. Result of that rebellion is, was spiritual death, disappointment, disillusionment, frustration, emptiness. I don't know if you feel those things, but I do from time to time. Not, not as much as I would apart from the Lord, but yet, and yet still, there's there, this frustration, this disappointment, this disillusionment. I was telling someone the other day how frustrated I get when I look around to see what mankind is doing. The actions of the powerful and influential are frustrating. They abuse power. But not just that. It's the, it's the weak and vulnerable who are frustrating, choosing things that they should not be choosing, choosing for, for, for that which would lead to further addiction to sinful behavior and, and to say it's not their fault, it's, it's, it's the system. And not just that, but my choices and my desires, my actions frustrate me. Only by God's grace, as we'll talk about in our third point, can we hate sin more and more. And we trust that we are, right? By God's grace, hate sin more and more. But I see where that blame rests rests with me and with humanity. What's necessary for us to see our degeneration. Well, we must see God for who he is and remember that he wants us to look like him. When we see God better, we see ourselves better. And when we see our need, and then we see our need more clearly. The answer isn't focusing less on God or making God more like us. The answer is seeing God for all that he is and then recognizing that in that description of God is one who is holy, but one who welcomes us to come to him, that we might reflect him more and more as we depend upon him. When we're defined by other people, we may look better to ourselves than we really are. But when we see God... When we see the king, we're exposed and we see the depth of our need. As Isaiah noted in Isaiah 6, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. 
This fall and disobedience of our first parents is described very accurately here as poison. This fall has so poisoned our nature that we're all conceived and born in sin. Psalm 51 verse 5 says that I am conceived in sin. But God says from that first sin, we are inheriting depravity. We are not able not to sin. This is our doing. God does not make us this way. He did not make us this way in the beginning. Paul describes what we look like in our old selves in many places in the epistles. We're going to look at Titus, not a book that we look to often. It's a smaller book. I don't know. Maybe the cadets could tell us where that's found. Where is the book of Titus found? What book? Where is it found? It's, it's, a small, it's in a small section there. Okay, we got to get a scripture badge here. We got to got to work on that. Right? Right be, Yes. Pardon? Oh, you found the page number. Okay, very good. What's the page number? 998 for those of you who are looking in your pew Bible. Titus Philemon. Hebrews James. So just before Hebrews. Let's turn there. Let's look at that together. But we we, what we recognize in the Old Testament already before we come to the New Testament is, is what Isaiah says, uh, as God speaks to him, he says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us has turned to his own way. And we are those who are not walking with the Lord. We're those who are conceived in sin. Paul says it this way, we're foolish and disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hating, or hated by others and hating one another. That's our, that's our true nature apart from God. It's a long list of other sins that we could look at in Scripture of what we could be shown guilty of. But how then are we changed? How are we changed? We see the the generation, how we were made, then we see how we have degenerated. We've, we've fallen away from that. How are we changed, regenerated? Is it through a certain number of hours at church? Is it how many badges we have on our shirts? Is it, is it through all of our service hours in school? Is that what changes us? Is it even at profession of faith? Is that when, is it something we do? I think is the, is the, the heart of the question I'm asking. Is it something that we do? Can we change ourselves? Do we make this happen? Well, true, it's important for us to go to church. We're called to do that. We're commanded to do that. It's important for us to make profession of faith. We're commanded to do that. It's important for us to learn to serve. That's part of maturing in the faith. We're called to that. But many people have heard lots of sermons and have served in many ways but are not alive. What has to happen? Look at Titus chapter 3 with me. We have verse 3, I just I summarized. Verse 4. Look at verse 4, and then we're going to read through verse 7. <clears throat> God says in his word that we were sinners, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and a renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. 
so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There are a lot of big concepts in this passage, but I want us to think about those words that we were regenerated, renewed by the Holy Spirit. That's what's needful. When Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, we see that you're a great teacher, tell us, tell us, tell me the meaning of life, tell me what it's all about. And Jesus says, the only way that you'll see the kingdom of God is by being born again. That's what we're talking about here. And the catechism says this, are we totally unable to do any good, inclined toward all evil? Yes, unless we are born again by the Spirit of God. Call this regeneration. Nicodemus is confused. Remember what he asks Jesus? Do I have to go back into my mother's womb? Is that what has to happen? Do I have to be born that way again? Jesus says, no. Talking about how the Holy Spirit needs to give you spiritual life, new life. We can't make this happen on our own efforts. We have to ask God to give us new life. And the good news is he is willing and ready to do that. It's his delight to give new life. He promises to write his law on hearts of his children. Paul states it this way, according to his amazing goodness, according to his mercy, God enters us by his spirit and gives us new life. Verse 5, baptism is a picture of what God needs to do. He needs to wash all the sin away. He needs to wash away all of our sin to give us new hearts that we might see his glory everywhere because it is everywhere to want to live for him and to look forward with longing to be with him. It is not someone being a goody two-shoes when they want to learn about the Lord. I hope you cadets aren't ever saying to somebody, oh, there you go again, wanting to go for the Bible lesson. That's important. <laughs> that, that's critical to you growing up to be godly, to be living in a way that pleases the Lord. God wants us to draw near to him, to live for him. And he assures us that we're washed of our sins because he has given his son. His blood washes all our sins away. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 1 when he says this, you were ransomed, you were bought back from your futile life, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And using that Old Testament sacrificial imagery, he says, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He says, this is the good news preached to you, that you might live and not doubt that you can be delivered from your misery. Remember, we talked about that, the alienation from God that we experience. God loves to love us in Christ. He showers his mercies upon us. When he disciplines us, it shows that he is treating us as his own children, delivering us from what would harm and wanting to give us what is good. Paul says elsewhere, in Christ you put off your old self and you're being renewed, putting on the new self created after the likeness of God, listen to the definition, in true righteousness and holiness, to want to pursue that. Because that's what's that look like. Well, you sing about it, right? Living for Jesus, a life that is true, striving to please him in all that you do, yielding allegiance, glad-hearted and free, this is the 
blessing for me, right? That's the way we want to live. God wants you and me to obey him, to speak kind words, encouraging words. He wants us to obey parents, to obey counselors. In the home, at cadets, in life, we're learning to live under authority. We must not forget that all of life is under God's authority. We're to show new life by living according to his command, to love him and others. John 14, 15, if you, okay, we got to mic you guys up a little bit. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. What does love look like? It looks like obedience, right? Keeping commands. That's fun to run around at meetings. I know I see you do that a fair bit. But we don't want to run around aimlessly, right? Paul says, I run in such a way as to gain the prize. I, I compete according to the rules that I might press on and receive that which Christ has won for me. We want to live for him. So how do we talk about each other? How do we talk to each other? Are we tempting someone too evil? Are we leading them in right path? When Paul was talking to Timothy, he says this, set example for others in your speech, in your conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. We need to meditate on those words. What does that mean? What does that, what does that, what does that look like? I hope you do that in cadets. Paul goes on there in Titus toward the end of the third chapter. He says, remind your hearers, Titus, that they're new creatures in Christ. That they are, therefore, to devote themselves to doing good, to be devoted to good works. God regenerates us so that we want to do good. I saw this quote by Alistair Begg this week I thought was quite helpful. He said this, what we do with Jesus' words is a great indicator of our true identity and our eternal destiny. When we hear the word of God, what we do with it is a way of showing our identity and our destiny. Born-again people are destined for glory. Spiritually dead people are destined for eternal judgment. We need to learn what it means to obey God, to learn how we can be redeemed from sin, and then to live for him. We need to be regenerated. Remember how God created you. Remember how your fallenness has interrupted your spiritual life and you are needy. You can't live without him. Sufficient on your own. Remember, your minds must be transformed by him so that your hearts are renewed as well your entire life that you might live for him. Remember what he's promised. He's promised to give new life to those who ask. Promised to give abundant life. And then we are to go and tell others about that abundant life. Tell them to turn from sin, to look for true joy and peace and hope in Jesus Christ. This is man's only hope to be delivered from his misery. Now let's pray together. We close. Father in heaven, we thank you for your regenerating power at work in the world for your Spirit's work. We pray that you would be working in us and in our children, in our communities, both near and 
further away from us, far away from us. For Lord, your glory fills the whole earth, and we want to see that more and more. As we go forth into this new week, help us to see your glory. Help us to remember we're created to point people to you, to lead them to reflect upon your glory, to see their need, and to know that you can satisfy. Pray that you would hear us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Number 426 is the song that we want to sing together. How vast the benefits divine which we in Christ possess. We are redeemed from sin and shame and called to holiness. Tis not for works that we have done, these all to him we owe, but he of his electing love, salvation doth bestow. The glory belongs to God. Let's remember that as we sing these stanzas, the three stanzas, as we stand to sing number 426. your many blessings to us. We are those who want to be generous in giving back and reflecting on the importance of entrusting truth to that next generation.